turn then uh, to our sermon text for today, which is at the beginning, Genesis chapter 1. I've been preaching through Genesis chapter 1. Uh, Last week we looked at the creation on the second and third days of uh, the separation of the waters, creation of the expanse above. Um, There's waters then in that expanse and the clouds, and there's waters uh, on the earth. And then on the third day that water was gathered together and the land, dry land appeared And the dry land was filled with vegetation, plants, and trees, and God saw that it was good. And so we'll pick up today with the fourth day, Genesis chapter 1, verses 14 through 19. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let us pray for God's blessing upon his word. Lord God, we thank you for declaring your works to us, the results of which we see all around us. We pray that you would use this word to draw us near to you, uh, that you would uh, bless your word, that we would indeed study these works and be brought to uh, true wisdom, uh, that we might know you, uh, that we might worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God created the heavens and the earth. He began at the beginning, bringing things into existence out of nothing. Uh, And yet, things initially were dark. They were formless. They were void. They were empty. And he continues in the next, uh, in that first day, in the following days, to uh, continue to create, uh, to remedy uh, these things. Starting with the creation of light on the first day, creating light before there was sun, moon, and stars. He did not need such instruments, though we'll find that he does create them on the fourth day. Um, And he has continued to form by making distinctions and by separating things and by naming things, giving a structure uh, and an ordered system and harmony to his creation. He has also continued to to fill things by uh, filling the land with vegetation, for example. Well, now on the fourth day, he continues to do these things as well. He's going to continue to form his creation by giving uh, the light to light bearers, to bear the light that he has made, uh, to distinguish the day and the night uh, in that way. And he also fills what he has made. He's created this expanse of the heavens, this thing that we see above us, and now he's going to fill it with the sun, with moon, with stars. It will not be empty when he is done with it. Before I get uh, further, though, I want to bring up two preliminary points. 
Um, the first one is that each day builds on the previous days. Um, it's not simply uh, re recapitulating uh, what has already been said before, like here's the day and let me tell you about the day again, and let me tell you about the day again. Um, that, that's one of the positions at least that Augustine took because he thought things were created all at once. Um, Neither is it saying that there was the first three days, and let me tell you about the first three days again, like that the fourth day is a recapitulation of the first day, as if light couldn't exist apart from the sun. Um, I think we should be able to imagine light existing without the sun. We see it all around us. <laughs> light does not need to be from the sun. Um, God is God. The, and particularly what I would point out is that the lights are set in the expanse of the heavens. When did God make the expanse of the heavens? On the second day, not on the first day. So, so the, the fourth day is going to build on the days that have come before it as God methodically works from day to day um, on these six days of creation. Um, and furthermore, unlike the first day, we have another further development. On the first day, the creation of light and distinction between light and darkness, and the light was called day and the darkness he called night. What happens on the fourth day? He doesn't create um, night. He creates lights for both day and night. Uh, we have the sun to rule the day, but there's even a light given for the night. It's a lesser light. It's still generally dark, but now there's even a little light in the dark uh, for the, the good of living things that will be on the earth. And so it won't be in absolute darkness, at least not most of the time. And second preliminary point, not only does each day build on the previous days, but second, God speaks according to our perspective. Uh, the sun is called the greater light, not because it's the largest light in the universe. Some of the stars are smaller. Some of the stars are far bigger than the sun, we know from uh, our observation today. But it's called the greater light because it's the greater light to the earth. It gives more light to us. Uh, and so the Bible speaks that way quite simply in an everyday language. Likewise, the moon is called a light. Does the moon produce light? The moon reflects light. We know that. People have known that for a long time due to eclipses and the like. But it's called a lesser light because it gives light to the earth. <laughs> we receive light from it. Uh, and so it, it simply speaks in a common way. Likewise, with reference to the stars, it's including planets and referring to stars. Why? Because planets look like stars. <laughs> you look up there in the sky. Um, even though today astronomers would classify planets different from stars and different from dwarf planets and different from other objects that we find out there. Genesis is scientifically accurate. It's not always scientifically precise. Um, it's not written only for scientists. It is written for scientists, but it's written for everyone, uh, for the whole people of God, and uses language that reflects the way we observe things. Uh, Genesis is not written in metaphorical poetry, on the one hand, uh, neither is it written in precise scientific terminology, uh, on the other hand. It's written in the language of everyday experience as a historical narrative like you'll find throughout a lot of the Bible that uses historical narrative. And so that uh, being a point here on the, the way to approach Genesis and not to get hung up over uh, contradictions that aren't meant to be uh, contradictions. 
The main point here is that the lights in the heavens were created by God. He brought them into existence, and he set them in their place. Uh, He spoke, and they came to be, and he gave them their order. He set them in the expanse of the heavens, and so they uh, follow his purposes, which are explained here. Notice, uh, it doesn't always explain the purposes in Genesis 1 of what he's created, but he, it does expand on that more. So here on the fourth day, why did he create the lights in the heavens? And they fulfill his purposes. So the lights in the heavens were created by God. And briefly, I'm going to focus on the fact that they are created by God for the purposes mentioned here, to give light, to mark time. Uh, and that they're also created by God to display uh, his power, his wisdom, and his love. But first, they are created by God to give light and mark time. God created the sun, the moon, the stars to give light on the earth and to mark time. Now, didn't he already make light? Yes. Didn't he already separate day and night? Yes. But now he makes the sun, moon, and stars to do those things. He has created these lights and gives these functions to them. He made the sun, moon, and stars to be instruments of his power, of his provision, his vice regents over day and night. Uh, This is uh, important, as many people have, over the centuries worshiped the sun and the moon. Israel's neighbors did this. People in all the earth have ascribed more than they should to the sun, moon, and stars. But God says plainly, I didn't need them, and I made them to be my servants, my, my vice regents over the day and night. John Calvin uh, puts it this way, God therefore assigns to them a kind of government. Yet us remember that it is such a government as implies that the sun is still a servant and the moon a handmaiden. The nations around Israel, around the world, whether you're Patrick going to Ireland as a missionary or going to the Plains uh, Indians in America uh, or to ancient Egypt, uh, the pagan nations uh, outside of God's grace have uh, often certainly worshipped creatures, including the sun, the moon, and the stars. And Israel was tempted to do so as well, and sometimes they succumb to that temptation. But just as God uh, in, in Israel's history had shown his sovereignty over the sun, putting the gods of Egypt to shame, when in the ninth plague he put an absolute darkness over Egypt, blocking out the sun for three days, giving them a darkness, a darkness even to be felt, showing that God was sovereign over something the Egyptians worshipped. So here, the basis for such sovereignty is explained. The sun is but an instrument of God for his purposes. The creator is to be worshipped, not the sun, the moon, the stars. As God would warn Israel in Deuteronomy, beware lest you raise your eyes to the heavens. And when you see the sun and the moon and the stars and all the host of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. He'll go on to make the point that God has allotted you to him. You are his inheritance, but he's given this as something to all the peoples. So do not worship them. Job in Job 31 also knows that this could have been a temptation, that if 
he had secretly uh, worshipped the sun, moon, and stars as he looked up to them, you would have been false to the Lord, his God. In a similar vein, we're taught here in Genesis 1 that the lights are signs, particularly as markers of time, of the natural order, uh, perhaps occasionally to mark God's miracles. But they are not signs to (coughs) foretell the future. They're not signs that fix the fate of men. Uh, The superstition of astrology, uh, which we find perhaps in horoscopes today, is an ancient problem, and perhaps is one reason why Genesis goes into so much depth on the purposes of the lights in the heavens. But the use of astrology and omens and horoscopes is rejected by Scripture. God is sovereign, not the stars. And Leviticus 19.26 says, you shall not interpret omens or tell fortunes. Or as Jeremiah says polemically in chapter 10, learn not the way of the nations, nor be dismayed at the signs of the heavens, because the nations are dismayed at them, for the customs of the peoples are vanity. So these lights are not gods. They do not control your destiny. Uh, They should not be treated as gods. They are instruments God made for his purpose. And particularly, like I said, They are light bearers, and they are time keepers. They are the light bearers. They bear light. That's kind of actually the the literal meaning here of the word light or or lamp, those things that bear light. They're God instruments for sustaining life on the earth through their light. The light enables us to see the world around us. The light keeps you and me and the earth that just the right temperature. That light gives heat. Heat to warm us, but not too much. Keeps the water at a temperature that we can drink it. It's not frozen. It's not gas. We can tell by looking at the other planets, all the alternatives out there. But no, these are designed perfectly to bless the earth. The light enables the plants to grow. As the light is used by the plants to create Uh, to turn carbon dioxide and water into energy for itself and then oxygen to be released into the air, which then we breathe. It's an amazing system that God has designed. So they are light bearers, giving us light and heat and energy to our world. They are also the timekeepers. They mark time. God has already created time by the fourth, fourth day, Uh, He's already created day and night, but now these lights would mark it and keep it. Uh, This indicates, again, that the days of creation are literal historical days marked by evening and morning, because, you know, the days that the sun and moon mark are, you know, the ones that we experience today. Obviously, they're not ordinary days. Some unusual things happened on them, but they are, as far as their length goes, pretty ordinary These lights are made for signs and seasons, for days and years. Um, They're made for signs, particularly signs that mark the seasons, the days and the years. Um, Perhaps also in mind is how they would be signs for weather. Jesus even mentions, you know how to interpret the sky. There's going to be good weather tomorrow or not by the appearance of the sky. 
or people have used them as signs for navigation. In fact, not only people have used them as signs for navigation, animals use them as signs for navigation. Uh, they are signs that direct us in many ways. They mark time not only for man, but for plants and for animals. That's why those bugs come to your lights at night, because they're expecting it to be the moon. Uh, but they are, are guided by the lights around us that God created. Living things all over the earth live by the daily and monthly and yearly rhythms of the sun, moon, and stars. The sun rises and it sets each day. Uh, these days lengthen and then they shorten, marking the seasons and the year. We just had the summer solstice where it's the longest period of light and now the days are starting to get shorter. God made that system to mark the time. Of course, it'd be especially important for a largely agricultural community, and we're still just as dependent on agriculture as we've ever been, just not everyone does it as much. But these rhythms continue to, to guide the earth. The sun and moon separate the day from the night, and they each have their appointed task, their roles, which accord with their nature. They are well fitted for the things they are called to do. The greater light, uh, that is the sun, um, rules the day. And the lesser light, one that gives less light, <laughs> it rules the night, that is the moon. God fit them for their task. They are good at what they do. They rule by giving order to the day and the night. They rule by defining their boundaries. They rule by providing their light. And as rulers, they're each robed in the pomp and glory of rulers in their realms. And so God made them his vice regents, not over you, but over the day and over the night. In addition, it's not really mentioned here, but it's worth noting that as we study God's works, that these bodies that God made also, uh, by their mass, preserves and stabilizes the earth. Uh, the sun gives the earth its orbits. The moon produces the tides that refresh the seas. The moon also moderates our planet's wobble on its axis, giving stability to the seasons. Jupiter's large size draws all the asteroids away from the earth and gives uh, protection to it. That's why there's an asteroid belt between Jupiter and Mars. You know, they are designed in good ways for your good, even for the good of those who hate God, that God has maintained this order. So give thanks to the Creator for the sun and the moon and the stars, for the design that He has made, for the blessing He has made them to you and to the animals and to the plants, for the blessings He gives through the sun, the moon, and stars. Don't worship them, but don't ignore their blessings either. At least the sun worshipers were reverent. <laughs> a lot of people today just look at the sun and shrug. Like, of course. At least the sun worshipers realized that they were dependent on what the sun gave them. But, of course, we shouldn't worship the sun either. We should worship the God who made the sun and show gratitude and reverence to Him. To so give thanks to God. Be in awe of what He does through these lights in the heavens. So, first of all, they are created by God to give light upon the earth and to mark time uh, for us and for all living things. The second point is that uh, they are created by God to, to display His power, His wisdom, and His love. 
First, they, they display God's power and wisdom. You look to the space above, and you find great and vast forces in an orderly system that display beauty and usefulness. This is a, a work of wisdom. God has provided you almost like a vast aquarium. You know, it's all at a safe distance. Uh, It's not like he can put a sun right in front of you. But we have this vast space now, a theater of God's glory, which he has presented to all people on the earth. No one can hide from the heat of the sun. It's all there for all people, displaying his power and his wisdom. This vast display of overwhelming size and force at a safe distance for your observation. He's provided a seemingly inexhaustible realm of discoveries. Even as our technology increases, we have more and more to find out. The ancient world, on the one hand, actually had a better view of the night sky according to their natural eye than we do today. They didn't have all the light pollution that we have, and so uh, the average person probably could see the night sky and the stars better, but of course we have technology to keep up, and with telescopes and the like, we even going into outer space, continue to learn more and more. For example, we've found through modern scientific observation that our solar system is eight planets, they say now, not not nine, but um, now we have five dwarf planets as well. Um, We have at least 200 moons orbiting those planets, and the sun is like 99% of the mass of the solar system. It's Diameter is 100 times or more the Earth's, and it's also 93 million miles from us. Um, The sun is one of the estimated 100 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy, and then our our whole solar system's rotating around this galaxy, and astronomers have recently estimated that there's 2 trillion galaxies in the universe, you know? That's as of 2016. Before that, they thought, you know, there were less. But we continue to find more and more the inexhaustible riches of God's creation in space. Truly, while only God is infinite, the wonders of the heavens seem inexhaustible to us. And so did all of this come about on its own from nothing? Nothing was, and then it exploded? Simply adding billions of years does not solve the issue of its origin and often creates as many problems as it seems to solve. Uh, you know, if we extend billions of years, the moon actually, because uh, now we can calculate its distance from the sun with a lot of precision, it moves maybe like two inches a year, something like that, away from, or two, yeah, I think two inches a year, two inches in some amount of time away from the earth. But if you extended that billions of years, it would basically be where the Earth is now. Uh, You know, there's there's, sometimes adding millions of years can help them solve a few theories, but uh, creates its own problems. We're told here the answer uh, that accords with the vast power and design that we see, that God set all of this in motion and created this by his powerful word on the fourth day. Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens. God brought them into existence. He set them in order. He put them on their circuits. And he directs each one of them, and they do his bidding. Psalm 147, verses 4 through 5, uh, puts it this way. He, that is God, he determines the number of the stars. He gives to all of them their names. 
Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Truly, as Psalm 19 said, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Their speechless voice extends throughout all the earth and their words to the end of the world. There's nothing hidden from their witness day after day, pressing upon people the fact that their Creator has given them the life they enjoy. Their regular course in joyful obedience to their Maker proclaims His existence, His wisdom, and His power. These, litness, these lights are a witness to all the earth, calling all people to worship their Creator. They also put man's pride to shame. Again, going back to Job 38, like we did last week, God asks Job in Job 38, referring to several of the constellations, Can you bind the chains of the Pleiades or loose the cords of Orion? Can you lead forth the Maseroth in their season? Or can you guide the bear with its children? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens? Can you establish their rule on the earth? It's like, well, we're trying to keep up as best as we can, but no, I, I can't do those things. God has appointed the ordinances of the heavens, the laws by which they go. We try our best to figure them out. He created gravity and the forces and patterns we discover through science, but He knows all. He has given His law. We haven't given our law. God has given His law to all the lights of outer space. He commanded and they came to be. He set them in the expanse and they go as He directed. The sun and the moon and trillions of stars follow his decree, clothed with glory and splendor, thereby fulfilling their purposes and bringing glory to God. And so should you and I. We should follow the commands of our God, being clothed by him in glory, fulfilling our purposes, bringing glory to God. As a creature with reason and will, you ought to do so with knowledge and with delight. How much more? should we do that? God's law is not a checklist, not like you can do whatever you want, but make sure you do this, this, and this, and then you're free to do what you want. Is that the way God treats the stars? No, God's creation is absolute, made all things, and so is his law. His sovereignty is comprehensive. It says, this is the way. Walk in it. It does not give you a few things to do, but it directs your whole course, your whole life. It directs the whole life of man and his society. As Abraham Kuyper said, there's not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. There's no neutrality, no room for autonomy. God is the creator, and he has given it his command. And your whole being there is designed to move in accord with his moral law, directed by love for God and for your neighbor. Any lack of conformity to that law is a sin. Now, that might sound initially to some like a burden. You mean we don't have any room outside of God's law? But look up to the skies. Is the moon burdened by the orbit God gives it? What if it decided to leave that orbit and to head straight towards the sun? The sun looks pretty. I'm going to go there. No, it's good where God put it. Is God's command a burden to the sun? Does the earth wish to be free of its rotation? No, the sun comes out in the morning, 
like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. He sets them in glory and honor, and, and we admire the beauty of the spheres. His law is a blessing to them. It's a glory to them. So likewise for us, the law of God is good and it's wise. By it, we live according to our design, in accord with our nature, fulfilling our purposes, bringing glory to God. That is the way God made the world. But no, you go off the path that God has appointed for you into the destructive ways of sin. Every one of us going his own way. You abandon your appointed course, rebel against the king of the cosmos. You treat the ruler of the galaxies with contempt. You treat his appointed way with contempt and seek out your own foolish ways. You and I both. Foolish ways. Evil ways. Ways of death. And so what has God done about this? The one by whom all the stars and lights were made was made flesh and dwelt among us. And when the mighty maker died for man, the creature's sin, the sun was darkened, the moon was turned to blood, and our earth was shaken as he gave up his life. He died that you and I might be reconciled and restored to the triune God, the King of all. So hold fast to this mercy of God in Christ, receiving this salvation by faith, with gratitude. Let your heart break with sorrow for the sin and for joy at His power and love. That's why I say the heavens above not only proclaim His power, they not only proclaim His wisdom, they also proclaim His love. They display His love. Look up to the sky and say with Psalm 8, When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? They show how gracious his love is, that the one who has all of this that he knows that he has created has looked upon us and had mercy on us and went through such lengths to save us by sending his own son. For we on this little speck on this one planet in the vast multitude of the universe. What is man that you are mindful of him? Even before sin, God was generous to walk in the garden with Adam and Eve, to draw near with his word and covenant to man that he created. But how much more now does his vast power displayed in the heavens magnify his goodness, his generosity, his grace, and his love? Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? So the lights in the heavens declare the glory of God. They were created by God. He brought them into existence. He set them in their place. They are his servants for the good of the earth and for all who live in it. They are his servants that display his power, his wisdom, and his love. So do not worship the stars and the sun and the moon. Do not ignore the sun and the stars and the moon, but consider them and worship their creator, who is the Lord and is your God. Submit to the law of the king of the cosmos, who is also your savior. Turn from your rebellion and walk in the blessed path of his commandments, running it 
in that way like the sun, with joy, even as the sun does every day. Let us pray. Lord God, we are humbled by the works that you show us from day to day, giving us the light, even the air that we breathe through the beams of the sun, interacting with the plants that you have made, sustaining our life, even the life of those who hate you. You have our long-suffering and generous, that you have cared so much for us that you sent your Son to die for us and rising to new life for our sake. We pray that you would fill our hearts with gratitude, that they would break at the sin at which we have committed, that you would fill us with this uh, appreciation and joy and delight in your law, uh, that we might bring you glory as we worship you and run our course which you have laid out before us. We pray that you would make us a light to the earth like stars in the heavens shining brilliantly with your grace. We pray that you would make your church this witness to your truth and that you would extend the rule of your Son, Jesus Christ, and that his light would shine throughout all the earth. We pray these things in his name. Amen.